Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, third service. How are you guys doing? It's awesome. It's so glad to see all you guys here this morning. If you're a guest with us, man, can I just say, if it's your first time here, welcome home. We've been waiting for you, so it's good to have you. My name is Andrew Garcia, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Life Point Church. Our founding pastor and lead pastor, uh, Danny Rivers, is over at City Hills over in Bernie, uh, preaching there today. We actually helped uh, launch and start that church, um, so he has the privilege of being there today. Uh, and, and today we're starting a brand new series called Chapter and Verse. And the big idea of this series is that over the next several weeks, we're going to be taking our favorite chapters and our favorite verses, and we're just going to be uh, digging into them and, and talking about them and how they connect uh, to us. So the verse that we're going to be looking at today, I have to say, is deceivingly simple. Like, it's, it's, it's got, it has, sh- it's really, really short, like in its word count, and when you look at it, um, but it has really deep roots that, that connect and talk about the nature of God and the nature of man. And what I find so incredible about the passage is that it actually intersects with all of us wherever we find ourselves on our journey of faith with our soul. And it reveals both our eternal whole and the temporal um, answer for the needs that we long for, that we're searching for. So what's so cool is that it embraces us physically while directing us spiritually. And it's probably one of the, of the most, if not the most, well-known scripture like of the entire Bible. Like you didn't have to go to church to learn this verse. Kids memorize it all the time and they can actually wrap their minds around it and understand what uh, these verses are saying um, and that they, they just get the principles. But the irony of this passage is that it's most often used at funerals, which that's not, it's like, well, why would you tell us that? But it's just the truth. Um, it's an incredible disappointment because uh, when, when we read it, like you can read this text and, and see the heaviness of heart, but it's a heaviness of heart that has made it through. It's a heaviness of heart that has is, that is walked with God through the circumstance to experience his love, his peace, his joy. And, and we, need to, we, need to, we need to kind of get that today. And so weighing in at around 118 verses, um, or 118 words, six verses, this, we'd be here all day if it was 118 verses. But uh, weighing in at 118 words, depending on which translation you read, this is a, a, a passage that has endless number of sermons and an endless number of books on it. So are you ready for this? Some of you are excited. The others of you aren't. Today we're going to be diving into Psalms 23. That's what I'm talking about. Get fired up. Now, what I love about the Psalms and what is so unique about the Psalms is that it's God's word to us reflecting our words to God. And that's key because when you read the Psalms, man, like bro, it's real and it's raw and, and, and you can get this emotion that takes place between the dialogue that we read and it's kind of funny because you'll read it and you're like, can a Christian like think this way and still be like a Christian? Like, can I talk to God that way and he's not gonna like lightning bolt me down from heaven? And it's, it's cool because the Psalms free us to embrace the tension of our humanity in a holy pursuit for God's heart. 
And, and it's incredible because the, the writers are always kind of just like complaining about God. Like, let's be honest in the room today. How many values have ever just been angry with God? Like, come on, raise your hands. It's okay. We're all, we're all sinners. It's all good. We all got problems and issues. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, you're lying to yourself. That's okay. We're going to work through that today, kind of. But let's be honest, right? Like, life is hard, right? Let's, let's acknowledge that together. Life is hard. Yes, some of you are like, I'm going to deny it. That's fine. Life is still hard. But faith can be hard too. And as a matter of fact, faith can sometimes feel so impossible in the season that we find ourselves in. And what I love about this psalm is that it reminds us that faith can be both shaky and sure at the same time. And, and if you want to argue with me theologically on it, like Psalms 1 through 41 are all like their laments, so it's like, and David still was a man after God's own heart, so deal with that. But Faith and doubt can go coexist, and what we find is that we can still love and trust God in the midst of what's happening around us, because the struggle is where strength is born. In the struggle is where strength is born. And, and the author uh, of the majority of Psalms is believed to be David, and the question that's been asked about Psalms, and Psalms 23 in particular, is when did he write this? Because we know David was a shepherd boy who was a poet, and he was a king, and who obviously was still a poet. And he's reflecting, we believe, on this aged king is reflecting on the shepherd within him when he wrote this passage. And what's cool is that a lot of us know who David is without having to really dig into his life. Like, we just have, like, you know, we have some, some, some facts about him. We know David and Goliath. Like, that's super common. Everyone knows that. We know that David was, was, was a king. Um, you know, David was like, like, for all the men, like, David was like kind of like a man's man. Like, you know, like, he, he hunted and killed things, which in Texas we're like, yes, like, we're proud of that because we have issues, but <laughs> David was a, a young shepherd boy, he was this king, he was a poet, like, he, he was a warrior, like, come on, like, you know, you men, like, sometimes you're like, I just want to beat somebody down, <laughs> as for Jesus, you always got to kind of add that in there, <laughs> David was, was a musician, you know, David's like, like this, this ladies man, like, you know, if David was around today, he, he would have been the one on The Bachelor, like, every season, <laughs> because he had a lot of wives, <laughs> that was messed up, he, he would have been the sexiest man alive like every time. Like that's just the, no contest. Like this is just the kind of guy David was. But David's life and David's career was checkered with sin and with sorrow. Like we always look at the highlight reel of David's life, but what we don't realize is that, man, the guy went through the grind. He went through more than a lot of us could ever imagine or would ever want to embrace. Like, he committed adultery that led to killing one of his, probably one of his closest friends. Then, then one of his sons raped one of his daughters, and then one of his other sons killed the brother, his brother that raped his sister. Weird family dynamics. The Bible's interesting. You should check it out. It's got crazy stories. It'll leave you a little dazed and confused, but it's raw because it's recognizing the reality of the world that we live in. So David, the second king of Israel, is making an analogy in this passage that is tested and tried. That's born out, out of wisdom, out of a life that has lived a long journey with God beside him. And in his old age, he's overflowing with wisdom born out of suffering. And that's so important for us to, to grasp as we get ready to, to dive into this text. Because here's the thing, I don't know how you walked into the place, this place this morning, but the last song that we just talked about is a song of victory, and that's exactly how our relationship with God is. When we accept Jesus, we have been victorious. 
The problem is that most of life doesn't feel that way when we're in it. And so it always, a process with Jesus is always retrospective. It's seeing where he's bringing us through. There are blessings, but a lot of times it feels like there's more battles than there are blessings. And so when we read this word, let's just let God's word speak into our hearts and challenge our minds, okay? So Psalms 23, one through six, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What I want to do today is pull this verse apart, or pull this passage apart, verse by verse, and just kind of let it simmer in our souls as we do this, because it's so simple, yet so deep. Like, it's the, the saying goes, it's simple enough for a child um, 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 to wade in, but it's deep enough for a theologian to drown in. Like, that's, that's what we're seeing here in this text. Like, it's rich. And so verse one says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And, and I want you to think about God for a moment. And if I were like to ask you the question, like, give me a word to describe God, like, the first word that I would come up with would not be shepherd. Like, creator, you know, almighty, uh, um, just, holy, consecrated, you know, the, the, the alpha, the omega, omniscient. Like, those are the words that I would think of first. But shepherd? Like, that's just not what comes to mind. And so it's quite remarkable that the Lord would call himself our shepherd. You see, in Israel, in ancient times, um, being a shepherd is probably one of the lowest lowest jobs, right, that you could do, that you could be, and so if a family needed a shepherd, they usually just gave it to the youngest child, and so David, the youngest of eight, is a shepherd, and so David says, the great God of the universe has stooped to take care of me, you and me as a shepherd would his sheep, and it's powerful because this metaphor is very unique. You see, shepherds were known to live with their flock. They were everything to their flock, like, I know we don't have sheep, so let me, let me draw a different analogy. How many of you guys have a dog? Because we don't like cats in this, in this place. <laughs> Dogs. So if you got a dog, right? <laughs> That's messed up. If you have a dog, and you leave the house for 30 seconds, right? You forgot something, you come back. As soon as you park that car and you open that door, what is that dog doing? It is barking its head off. As if you've been gone for a full 24 hours. And as soon as you open that door, what's it going to do? It's going to act like it's never seen you in its entire life. <laughs> like it's the first moment of love all over again. God bless dogs. They are everything. You are everything to them, right? You, you protect them. You guide them. You take care of them. You provide for them. And so David, when he's talking about God, that the, I'm the sheep and the Lord is my shepherd, He's drawing a parallel for us to understand how much reliance he has on the shepherd. 
And we have to consider the confidence in this statement because it's, it's reflected with humble assurance, yet it's, it's empowered by this monosyllable, my. The Lord is my shepherd. It's an assurance of I know who my shepherd is and I know how much I mean to him and how much he means to me. It's a reality in which David is currently abiding in, that the Lord right now in this moment, as I find it, is my shepherd. And he continues, I lack nothing. Now other translations say, I, I shall not want. want. And this is, this is interesting because you have to kind of dig into the text a little bit here. But when you pursue God, you enter into a battle against your flesh. You see, because God is holy, he's trying to make us holy. And so he's trying to pull righteousness out of us. But that righteousness contends against the natural desires of our heart. Like, think about it like this, like, like, if our sin is the whole that reminds us of what we lack, then our Savior is the one who reminds us of what we already have. But the wicked, right, the wicked always want, but it's the righteous who know what they have. A sinner's heart is far from satisfaction, but a gracious spirit dwells in the place of contentment. I lack nothing means all my needs are supplied by the Lord, my shepherd. I lack nothing means I decide, I decide to not desire more than the Lord, my shepherd, gives. I lack nothing means both, it's, 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 it's taken as a declaration and a decision that we have to embrace. And it's hard. The struggle for that is real. But through this struggle, strength is born. In verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, if verse one revealed that God as the shepherd is the one who sustains, then what verse two does is reveal God, how God as the shepherd sustains us. He makes me lie down. Now, when I was a child, I used to kind of look at this even probably more recently, because as I was reading this, I was challenged by this idea that I was like, man, you know, like I, I sometimes have this perception that like God's like, you know, like rocking me, like trying to make me lie down, right? But let's be honest. <laughs> like this is actually a little more violent in reality than we read in this verse. Because how many of you guys understand, man, you're hard-headed. <laughs> you're stubborn, you're, you, you are unwillingly relentless. And so what we find and what we have to be honest with is that so often God has to allow or push us to a place of breaking in order to get us to stop and to surrender to recognize and see what he's trying to do on our behalf. He has to make us lie down. So the shepherd literally has his hand in putting the sheep to rest. The shepherd literally knows what you need and where to lead you. He knows where he's taking you. The green pastures that he's trying to lead you to. And the, the quiet waters. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, what we often misunderstand or misapply in this passage is that we think this is talking about our physical self, which again, we already admitted this. It, there is some physical reality to this, but this is really a, a psalm focusing on the spiritual side of things. It's really talking about the soul. 
Because the Christian life has two important elements, the, the, the contemplative and the active. There are two elements to the Christian life, the contemplative and the active, both of, both of which God can provide richly for us. Let me explain. First, the contemplative. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, what are these green pastures? Well, you don't have to look farther than the scriptures of truth, which are always rich, are always green, and never exhausted. And our issue is that we cannot see what we do not stop to soak in. And if you can't learn to be quiet, to embrace stillness, silence in your life, your soul will constantly be working. The, the inner man is constantly striving, putting you on the edge, making you anxious, working against you. Which is why sometimes we can get physical rest and still feel exhausted. Which is why we can go on vacation, the greatest of all vacations, and come back more anxious than before we left. The issue is not what's happening outside of us, it's what's happening on the inside. The second part is action. Well, what kind of action? I'm going to say it's the action of silence. Psalms chapter 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know me. It's an action taken for intentional living. God cannot lead if you are unwilling to rest, to lie down, to embrace his word, to be still to the water of truth that he's placing before you. This is how he refreshes my soul. You see, when the soul is, grows sorrowful, he revives it. When, 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 when it's sinful, he sanctifies it. When it's weak, he strengthens it. And the good news for us in this passage is that the word restore in this passage meets us where we are. Restore has, has, has two undertones here. The first one is, is this idea of rescuing the lost sheep. Now, how often do you know whenever you're on your journey of faith, you, know, you can be a Christian forever and you're always what? Straying. From week to week. Because what did we admit? Faith is hard. You can be a Christian and decide, I'm going to turn away. What have you done? You have strayed. You've, you've, you've left. And, and restoration here in this context is saying God is wants to restore you, bring you back. So no matter where you find yourself on either end of that spectrum in the room today, he wants to restore your soul. There's a second meaning. The second meaning of restore my soul can also mean to bring to repentance. And here's the truth today. We've all walked into this place having put our faith in something or someone. And, and maybe you're a spiritual investigator and you're trying to figure out what you believe and why you believe it. What you have to admit is that you are following a shepherd. And I would say that you've probably come into this place today because the shepherd that you've been following has not led you to a good place. And what you need is the shepherd of God revealed to us through Jesus. where we can turn to and embrace his heart to see how much he cares. 
Like, it's, it's, it's so crazy to me that God is willing, even when we willingly work against him and push him away, when we actively work against him, to still pursue us, to still give us an opportunity to rest in green pastures, to lead us beside still waters. Like, that's how much he cares about you and about me, but you have to be willing to let him be your shepherd. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now, I'm not sure if you realize this, but humanity at large is desperately directionless. Like sheep, we cannot recognize our own value or give us our own purpose. Like, how often do you find yourself admitting, like, I do this all the time, like, like God, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I, I need some serious help. And the beauty of these words is that they speak to the depths of our soul, the reality that we live in, the reality that we walk in. And when God is your shepherd, the good news is that you don't have to worry where the green pastures are or where the, 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 the quiet waters are. God is going to lead you to them, but you have to be willing to listen to his voice. You have to be willing to obey where he's taking you. Because what he's trying to do in you is separate the sin that you have that separates you from him, that separates you from your Savior. And there are three things about sheep that really stick out to me. Um, the first thing is that sheep are just dumb. Sheep are dumb animals. Like, come on now. We're in Texas. We have, we, I mean, we see sheep. Maybe you don't have sheep. I hope you don't, because they're dirty too. And that'd make you dirty. <laughs> just saying. That was messed up. But I'm a student pastor, so it's okay. Sheep are dumb. Like, check out this comment. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. In other words, sheep are not only dumb, sheep are also directionless. And sheep are defenseless. Like, look at this picture here. You see, that's what I thought too, but no. <laughs> like, I know what you see, but I don't know if you realize this. Sheep are actually kind of deaf and blind mainly blind, because they can still hear, obviously, but they're, they're deaf. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but I, I don't see any fangs. Like, it looks cute and cuddly, I guess, except that if you pay real close attention, there's a little fly right there on the top of its head. And I don't know if you realize this, but uh, they're so dumb, as a matter of fact, that if flies are, like, swarming around them and they're really irritated by it, they will literally beat their head to a tree to death. Like, they will kill themselves. Sounds like us. <laughs> we do dumb things. And I don't know if you realize this, but it's, you can't really tell how fast they run. They don't run fast. And I don't know if you notice it, but they don't have wings. So they don't really have any way of like escaping or attacking. Like really all they got good going for them is like, bah! And that was really forceful and bad. <laughs> but this is funny because now, now when you're looking at them, they, they're literally nature's snack. Like they, they got nothing going for them. Like when I look at this lamb, I see lamb chops and nice lamb leather products. Like that's what I see, wool, if you, you know, you like wool things. But if you Google what kind of predators do sheep have, this is what you get. Coyote, makes sense. Wolf, makes sense. Fox, totally get it. Bear, yep. Dog. <laughs> and that's a puppy, y'all. <laughs> so, sheep have nothing going for them. They're lame. And this is what David is trying to draw this analogy with. 
that we are like sheep. And just to make sure that we're still on the same page, let me just elaborate on the dumb aspect of sheep. Sheep are so dumb, by nature they are followers, okay? So there's, there's actual stories of this, that sheep will literally follow, if one of them just begins to start walking, the rest of them might start following, and those that follow will literally follow that sheep off a cliff to their death. And this is why, you know, as parents, you know, you ask your kids, or you're a kid who, you know, your parents asked you, you know, like if your friends jumped off a cliff, would you do it? Which, of course, were like, dad, mom, no. <laughs> but we do, don't we? Even as adults, we do. Because we're not as smart as we like to posture, as we like to pretend. We're blind. We're directionless. We need a shepherd. I'll stop. <laughs> without a shepherd to protect us, without a shepherd to guide us, we're defenseless. We fall into traps of our own making and traps that have been laid out for us. It's what happens to us. And this is why this next part of this verse is so important. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, and we have to grasp this today, and darkness here can be translated in other translations as as, a shadow of death. But this is where God wants to meet us, and, and, and I want to just focus on two, two words to start with. There's, there's first is the pace, and the second is the place. Okay, first is the pace, the second is the place. First, the pace that we're looking at is God is doing what? He is walking. Now, I don't know about you. Usually, I walk when I want to soak something in. It's like leisurely. It's, it's to decompress you know, it's something to, to enjoy the world around me. Now, if I'm going through a dark season, there's no way in heaven that I want to sit and walk through it. Like, baby, I want to run. Like, let's get this over with. But not God. Not God. God wants to walk us through the place of pain. God wants to walk us through the shadow to process. And here's the thing, I don't know what shadow of death has been cast across your life. I don't know what you've walked in here with. It could be the death of hope, of a relationship, of, of, of a dream. It could be the shadow being cast of anxiety, um, anxiousness, confusion, financial insecurity. What I can tell you is no matter what shadow, no matter what darkness, God can see you through that place. But it's gonna be a walk. Don't be intimidated by what you see. The information, the, 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 the experience, the shadows, I don't know if you realize this, but shadows can't bite. The shadow of a knife cannot cut you. Darkness can only intimidate you from pressing forward. And this is the gift of the shepherd's presence. That in the middle of what we're going through, that he's there walking with us along the way. And here is where we see David flip in the psalm, where he's talking about God to talking to God. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
I will fear no evil because you are with me. It's reflective of a life that is experiencing God's presence in the now. And this is what David is saying, that there were moments where the presence of evil was evident in death, whether literally or figuratively, it was evident for him. Yet, God carried him through. And we have to catch this truth this morning for ourselves. Because despite every dark connection with the idea of the valley of death, David is soundly saying, I could fear not because I'm under the care of the shepherd. And it's important because David is is reminding us that the shepherd's presence did not eliminate the presence of fear, but it certainly did eliminate the fear of evil. God might not remove the obstacle, but he will see you through it. And what's so, what's so crazy is there, there's, there's a reason why we don't have to fear that has huge implications for our lives. Like, it's because death in its substance has been removed and only the shadow of death remains. You see, Jesus took the full reality of death in our place. When Jesus went to the cross to embrace our sins and our brokenness, He took all of our junk with him. He buried our brokenness in the ground and gave us new life through his resurrection. He gave us righteousness for our rags and because he took death by the hand, we no longer have to fear it in substance. We are only facing a shadow. This is huge. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This verse reminds us of God's power of the authority that he, 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 he wields that's being leveraged on our behalf. You see, the rod and the staff were instruments of the shepherd. One was a weapon and the other was, the rod was a weapon and the staff was used to correct and direct sheep. And this should be a great comfort to us. Because what David is saying here in this passage is that God loves you and me enough to fight our enemies. To rise up and stand between the things that come against us. To fight our battles. And at the same time, he loves us enough to fight against us. When we're the ones in our own way. I've been watching this show with my wife called Love is Blind. This is not my endorsement for the show, nor is it this church's. It's just, it just happens to be on. And uh, there's, some, there's, there's this character in there, and her name is, is Gigi. And what's so interesting about Gigi is that she's this fierce and, and passionate, you know, little thing. Like, she's, she's, she's just got so much energy and passion for life. And what we find that she wants out of the relationship with this future spouse of hers is she wants to know when things get tough, when I'm wrong, are you willing to fight for me? Are you willing to push back against me? And, and if you're in a relationship or if you're married, what you, you, you appreciate this because what you realize is that those who push back against you are trying to pull something great out of you. And what David is trying to remind us is that, hey, 
the reason that God is pushing back against you, the reason that God is bringing some things up that you need to deal with, the reason that there's some struggle between you and him is because he sees something, he's building you up for something bigger than you can understand or see. And so there should be confidence and safety and security in knowing that not only does he fight against your enemies, but he fights against you when you are your own worst enemy. It's personal. It's intentional. It's relational. And this is what sets up verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Blessing in the presence of, ja- of danger. You see, David still hasn't, he still hasn't departed from the picture of the valley. And so what's happening here is that somewhere between whenever the, 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 whenever the journey started, somewhere in the in-between, God has decided we're gonna take a break right where we find ourselves. And in the middle of this place where you seem to not see my light and where you seem to not understand what I'm doing, I'm trying to remind you that I have the provision that you need. That you don't have to worry about what's happening. I know it feels like a walk and it feels like it's a long walk and a long journey. But I'm here with you and I'm providing for you. But the only way to see is to stop and to soak it in and to realize that he's trying to lead you. And he's prepared this table for you. And this, this, is, this is so interesting to me because I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard time eating, right, when I'm restless, when I'm anxious, when, when, when there's something going on in, in the back of my world. I, I have a hard time sitting down to eat a meal. And so what David is trying to create a picture of is the Lord is, has prepared a table for you in the midst of everything that's going on drawing you in to recognize that you can sit and be still and relax and enjoy my presence and the peace that I bring even when it seems like you're surrounded. I protect you. I provide for you. I have what you need. Just take a seat at my table, let go, and trust me. Because when we take our eyes off the shadow and we set them on the Savior, something begins to change when we're rooted and when we're anchored, when we know who the shepherd is, we know that we're protected, that we're provided for, that we can trust him. And what surrounds you can only watch as God takes you through. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now there's a lot that can be said about this part of the verse, but I'd rather just ask you a question. Charles Spurgeon, he poses it this way. Um, he, was a, he was a pastor and a theologian, and he said, Beloved, I will ask you now a question. How would it be with you if God had filled your cup in proportion to your faith? How much would you have had in your cup? And it's meant to sting a little, but there's also a lot of hope in what he's actually saying. You see, in other words, God is faithful to the faithful. Like, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God is faithful to the religious, that you have to check off certain boxes or do the right things. What I'm saying is that you have to be willing to at least try. How much faith can you offer him? And in proportion to how much you give, he will give back to you. Are you willing to just let 
him try with the little that you have. You don't have to be full of faith. Just give him something to work with. And when we do, we get to experience verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is how you experience a life full of expectation, full of love, full of God's goodness. And the psalm ends with with kind of the calmest assurance that you can enjoy the Lord's presence forever now as it will be in heaven. And the power of this verse is not in the explanation. I explain it to you so that way you could experience the freedom that's found. And in order to embrace that freedom, I think there are three things that we actually have to do. The first one is that we have to admit our need. If you've come into this place today and you're going through something, you need to admit your need. This is not a psalm for the self-sufficient. It's a psalm for those who are acutely aware of the hole that they have. That they have a need. See Spurgeon again, he said that before a man can truly say the Lord is my shepherd, he must first feel himself to be a sheep by nature. For he cannot know that God is his shepherd unless he feels in himself that he has the nature of a sheep. He must relate to a sheep in its foolishness, its dependency, and in the warped nature of its will. The second thing is you have to accept Jesus as your shepherd. Again, we talked about this. We're all, we've all put faith in something. We're all following a shepherd of some sort in some direction. And what I believe is that if you've walked into this place today, then you've been left empty-handed and longing, or you've actually seen what happens when you follow the shepherd, when you lean into God, and he's come through. Accept Jesus as your shepherd and see what begins to happen. And the third thing, and we're going to do this all together today, is we're going to surrender your shadow. And here's the thing. What I know for a fact is that all of us have some struggle in this room. Life could be going great, but there's still something that you're going through. There's still something that you need to give up, that you need to pass over. There's something that you have that you need to surrender to God. And somebody in here needs to know that God sees you He's keenly aware of what it is that you're going through. Right now could be the darkest moment of your life, and what you need to know is that he sees you, he sees you, he sees you in the pain and the hopelessness, and he's extending a hand today to say, just give it to me. You can still doubt and hand it to me, because handing it to me is faith. He'll embrace you in a moment, to help bring you through. Give him your shadow and see how he provides and protects you from what's going on around you. And we're going to do this today in worship. So I'm going to ask us all to just go ahead and stand up for a moment. If you find yourself in recognition of a need, aware that you need a shepherd, then as we sing this song, I want the words to just embrace you. 
And maybe you would respond by just raising a hand or both hands that God, here's what I'm going through. I'm giving it to you. I'm casting this shadow. I'm trusting you're gonna see me through. Because by walking in here today, God has been asking you a single question. Are you ready to deal with me now? Are you ready to deal with me now? He's the answer for your need. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we are here in this place. God, so many of us, God, from different walks of life. God, we have different stories. We're battling against different sin, different shame. Our struggle, God, is real for each and every one of us wherever we find ourselves. And sometimes, God, what we forget is that we are victorious, that when we lean into you, when we embrace you, we have already won, that the battle is yours. We're victorious. But God, in the in-between, it doesn't feel that way. Life is hard and it's heavy and faith can be hard. And so whether we're turning to you, God, for the first time or coming back around, what we ask is that right now in this moment as we surrender to you what we're dealing with, that you would begin to fill us with confidence, peace, joy, and strength. God, as we embrace you in this song, begin to change something within us. In your name we pray, amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.